Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21, because this is actually the most important part of what we're getting into this morning as we talk about marriage. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Picked a fun one today from Ephesians chapter 5. This is where God has us. Because we are simply walking our way through this incredible book of Ephesians. We've covered now chapters 1 through 4, and we're well into 5, and we only have one more to go in chapter 6. Paul is in the incredibly practical portion of this book, where he's saying, here are how you do the relationships in your life based upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's dig in. I have three points this morning. And if you're a note taker, they're in your bulletin in that insert that you see uh, uh, in your hands. And it's basically these three things. The indicator that we are ready to dance. The indicator that we're ready to dance. Then number two, the dance of marriage. And finally, number three, the dance with Christ. And you'll understand more as we get into this uh, this morning what those mean. But let me start with a quick summary of what's led us up to this point where we're talking about marriage. Last week, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw from what Paul was writing how being filled with the Spirit of God is similar to being drunk with wine, and it is very different than being drunk with wine. That's literally just the analogy that Paul uses in our passage. And the way that being filled with the Spirit is different than being drunk with wine... Uh, or sorry, the way that it's the same is that both of them are ways to deal with the fear and the shame in your life. Now, alcohol, it depresses portions of the brain, and by that depression, we end up forgetting our fear and our shame, and so we are able to deal with it with joy, right? With joy. There's a lot of joy with being drunk, because you have forgotten, if only for a moment, the fear and the shame in your life. Now, as we talked about from the scriptures last week, it only ends up making things worse, so we're not recommending it. 
And Paul is not recommending it in the passage. Instead, he's saying, have, be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. And what, what happens with the Spirit is that instead of depressing parts of the brain, the Holy Spirit begins to open up parts of the mind, parts of the brain, to where we see reality in a stronger light. We see the God who is behind all of the world that, we, that is around us. Our eyes are opened to the reality of God and what he has done through Christ. You see a vision of God behind life. And you see love, the love of God, as the solution to your problems. So thus, it is very different than getting drunk with wine. Now, when reality gets opened by the Spirit, and you have a vision of God's love, of His care, of the fact that He is in control of the universe... When that occurs and you find that your fear and your shame are being uh, pushed away by his love, Paul says three things occur. And this is important for us to review. Three things occur. Number one, you spontaneously break into song. It's a little bit like a Disney movie, but much better. It's a little bit like a Disney movie. Now, you also, according to Paul, as we studied last week in Ephesians chapter 5, you become effusively thankful You begin to see that your life, that everything about who you are, what you are, and how you do things is 110% a gift from God. And so there is this deep sense in which a thankfulness arises within you and it becomes effusive out through your mouth. You just start to thank people and thank God a lot. And finally, and this is exactly how it relates to our passage today, Paul says the the final thing that occurs as reality is opened by the Spirit filling you is that you submit first to God and then to one another, which is an interesting way for him to end that particular section. And so now, this morning, what we're going to study is this idea of submission. Because he says, now I'm going to give you some examples in real life of what it looks like to submit to one another. And the first one he's going to use is marriage. And so that's the one we're going to cover today. But let's talk about submission first. Okay, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this passage, we've got to get our minds around this concept of submitting. What does that mean? It's not something we Americans like to talk about. It's not something we like to think about. It's not something that we like to experience, actually. And I would say that's probably true for pretty much the entire human race also. I want to give an argument this morning. Call it an algorithm. That's popular in our culture now. Maybe you could call it an equation uh, if you don't like to use that term. But, but hang with me for just a minute as we start. And I think you'll begin to grasp what Paul is saying about marriage. So here we go. The equation that Paul sets up in this passage is one that is built on, as we talked about last week, fear. Fear. He starts with fear. And the reason we need, we need to start with fear this morning is because fear is what leads to the fact that we are selfish. Now, I don't think anyone in here is going to argue with me on this point, that we as human beings tend to be rather selfish. And one of the things we try to teach our children as they're growing up is to not be so selfish. Share with your brother and sister, please, just give the toy to that other person. And the reason is because that, that we're selfish is that we're afraid. And what are we afraid of? We're afraid of this. If you get something, this is, I'm just using my kids and their toys trying to share. If you get something, I lose. If you gain, I lose. If I give, I lose. If I help you, I can't help me 
etc. We're afraid of losing. This fear permeates every corner of our lives. Selfishness has fear at its root, and this goes back to the garden. What did the serpent tell Eve in the garden? Does anybody want to remember that part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent says, God is withholding something from you. You're going to lose if you don't go after that fruit right there. And Eve's like, look, God said, if I trust him, he said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't touch that tree that's in the middle of the garden. And the serpent's like, seriously? Is that, come on now. Is that really what God said? He's probably withholding something from you. And if you don't take that apple, you lose. And so she says, you know what? It looks pretty good. It looks like I might gain something from this. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So obviously there's some, <laughs> some wisdom to be gained. It's the story of our lives ever since. Right? We think we are going to miss out. We are going to lose something. And so we are selfish. We spend our lives trying to fill ourselves with stuff. And usually it's stuff, and this is the whole point of sin, it's stuff other than God. We're jamming stuff other than God in our life. So fear, hear me out, real fear, or maybe even terror, is always associated with loss. Loss of something, a job, a lifestyle, a loved one, a status, a pleasure, a trip, a home, a car. The list is almost endless. Yet along comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is tied to Jesus' comment that he came to bring life. Real life. He uses the word zoe. You've heard me use that before. Jesus came. He says, I came to bring life and life to the full. I came to give you something that is going to fill every corner of your being and your soul and your heart. Life in God that is brought about by the death of Jesus Christ and that is created by his gift of grace. We are given access to the Father and we are brought into true acceptance of the God of the universe. And it cannot be taken away. Listen to Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this this is Paul again, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Perfect love casts out fear. Thus, with Jesus Christ in in committed relationship with Him, which we're going to get to today, We are free and we are secure. We are free from the bondage 
of chasing other things besides God. And we are secure in the fact that we can never lose the love of God that is through Jesus Christ. You can never lose it. You can't lose it. And so what Paul says in our passage this morning, he said, this should cause awe. He's like, this should cause us to go, holy cow, that's incredible. I have that. I have that kind of love. Absolutely. And he says, here's how you're supposed to respond to that. God initiates, right? He initiates with this incredible, unbelievable, never-ending love. And our response is submission. He says that's what the natural response to this awe is going to be. Submit to one another, says Paul, out of reverence for Christ. Oh, it's not on our passage this morning. That's verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, here's what I want you to do. You want to glorify God? I want you to live your life like there's nothing to lose. That's the point. You got nothing to lose. You have it all. You've been given everything, life, breath, hope, peace, joy, all the riches that are in God. You've been given all of them through Jesus Christ. You have nothing to lose. Amen. Nothing. It's, uh, Jesus describes it as something called zoe, or real life, or life with God. But that's essentially what we're going to use as our frame of reference as we look at marriage in this passage. Okay? I can... You ready? I can submit to God and to another person only insofar as much as I believe I have nothing to lose. Think about it for a minute. To truly give of yourself. To give all. I mean, Jesus says, what is the ultimate love? To give your life up for someone else? To give of yourself requires that you believe, you believe that you have nothing to lose. What a powerful, powerful place that Paul is calling us to live life from. He says, if this gets into the center of your core, your relationships are going to be transformed. And he says, watch how it begins to transform even this most closest of relationships, that is marriage. And he's going to get into other relationships too. But y'all, the dance of marriage, okay, we're on point two. The dance of marriage is two people with nothing to lose. That's what it is. That's the summary. And I want to mention also that the indicator that we are ready for the dance of marriage or the indicator that we are ready for the dance of submitting to any other human being on the planet, the indicator is, are we filled with the Spirit? Has the Spirit filled us to the point where our vision of Jesus Christ really makes our hearts sing? I have nothing to lose. I have it all. I have it all. I already have it all. I don't need it. Whatever it was, it is in my Amazon cart. I don't need it. Whatever promotion I thought I wanted to have at work, I don't need it. Whatever it is I needed to get from you, whatever I wanted to manipulate in your life and pull from you, I don't need it. I don't need it. I have nothing to lose. What freedom Paul is talking about here. And my goodness, can you imagine if somebody brought that kind of freedom into a marriage? What would it look like? Ephesians chapter 5. Here we go. The dance of marriage, two people with nothing to lose. Now you bring, because I bring, you bring, I bring, a filter into this passage. Okay, let's just admit it. We all do. You've got your personal filter, depending upon how good or bad your parents' marriage was. Um, If they were even married, right? That's a possibility. 
And then you bring in the filter of culture. Uh, totally understandable. I mean, Paul was bringing his own cultural filter into it. So there are things that you're going to bump up against in this passage, right? And if we were living in a different time and a different culture, we would bump up against different stuff than what we're going to bump up in 2019 in America today, right? If we were in, um, if we lived in the Middle Ages, somewhere in the middle of what is now Europe, we would be like, yeah, submit, totally. Marriage is about commitment, and it's about status in society, and it's about my parents picked who my partner would be, and that gives me my status, and here's where we are. Yes. Love? Yeah, you're lucky if you get that. <laughs> you know, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> okay, we bump up against this, and we're, we're like, submit? Do what? But we're like, love, yes. Love, passion, of course. If you get commitment thrown in, yay, good, okay. Hopefully you get a little bit of that. So again, we all have these filters that we are bringing in this, into this, let's just admit it, into this particular passage. And I want to mention one thing about these filters. The filter from the Middle Ages in the middle, in the middle of wherever, of Europe, um, that filter was ultimately still selfish, right? I needed a marriage partner for me. What my status was, what I was going to get out of this life. So my parents would pick someone who benefited what? Who? Me. That's who they would pick, right? Selfish. A selfish way to view marriage. Now, America, 2019, it's all about love. Is he or she the one? Do I feel the spark? You know, again, not all bad. You know, hopefully there is a little bit of spark there. But ultimately, it's, does this person bring me the spark? Come on, just admit it. It's all about me still. What, what do I get out of this? Is this going to be fulfilling enough for me? And once it's not, thank goodness we have so many lawyers in this country because we can just end it with a snap. Right? Again, cultural filters. Both of those are selfish. Paul is saying there's another way. And I want to mention something. What he's going to talk about here is the fact that this dance of marriage, there is a structure to it. Okay? I'm just going to go ahead and get the cat out of the bag. There's a structure to this marriage. And he says this structure, as he points to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he talks about the fact that this is what's called the one flesh henosis. That's the term for it from the Hebrew. The two become, shall become one flesh, says Paul. Obviously, dudes, you need to treat your wife as though it's your own body. What he's saying is this. There's a structure to this system. right? I'm not going to get into the explicit details of it, but there is initiative and there is response in the relationship of marriage. There is initiative and there is response in the marriage relationship. We have been given bodies to show us the way this works. There's a give and a take. There's a spiritual and emotional component to the way a man and woman give and receive in the sexual union. The same is true for what Paul is talking about here. There is love and there is submit. The man moves forward in unselfish love and the woman submits in unselfish love. That's what he's talking about. It, it's just right there. It's, it, in this way, the man and the woman in marriage care for the needs of one another. Neither of it is selfish. But the point is... I am caring for your needs above my needs. And now I'm going to break this down a little further, okay? 
because we need to break it down further because there is a selfish type of love that a man can initiate and there is a selfish type of submission that a woman can respond with okay first of all selfish love a lot of the reason we chafe against this idea of a woman responding in unselfish love is because men often initiate with a love that's not really love let me define it by this here's a phrase you may have heard before i'm sure i've used it i know i've used it i'm sure chris can verify I've given and given and given to this relationship, and now I just finally need to do something for myself. Translation. I have given so that I could get something. That's the translation of that phrase. I love so that I can have an excuse to be selfish. There is the facade of love, but the goal is always to have something left over to indulge in. It's exactly what Paul is saying. This is not glorifying to God. Because it is, it is admitting, I need something left over so that I can indulge in it. I've got to have something left over. But Paul was like, no, look, you have everything already. You have nothing to lose. You don't need to keep a little back for yourself. Give it all. But most of us, and because we are in a fallen world and we still have fear, and we still think we need things other than God, we fall into this trap all the time. You know, I do this when I excuse my ignoring the family because of a hard day at the office, right? Or a hard day at home. I do this when I demand a certain meal, you know, after I've been watching the kids all day. Okay, now, that's a selfish part of the initiative. The initiative selfishness. Now, there's, there's also response selfishness. Selfish submission is what I call it. Um, and it's either of these two extremes, being a wet rag or being a constant criticizer, okay, in the response piece of this. Um, now, wet rag, what I mean by that is, look, it's never good for insubmission. And this goes for men and women, okay? It's never good if we're just a, literally a complete wet rag before some other people. I, I said something a little bit different last week, but I'm utterly correcting myself. Here's why. The point is the good of the other person when we're in relationship with someone, right? That's what Paul is trying to get us towards, towards really benefiting someone and loving them and giving ourselves to them. When is it good for someone for them to abuse you? <laughs> Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> never. Absolutely we should be standing up to abuse, right? And never just laying down. It's not good for a person to abuse you, ever. There should be standing up. There should be something where you, you, are, you are putting your foot down and taking a stance. Now, the opposite extreme is um, constant criticizing, right? Um, this is that lip service of submission. The lip service of submission is, you know, I may receive I'm the initiative of my husband, but it's all just a bunch of junk. <laughs> right? It's possible to say things like that. And this is not being submissive because it doesn't actually help the other person or work to meet their needs. Now, I'm not going to give in a bunch of examples. We're just going to have to move on from that point. And I welcome your emails and phone calls after this sermon. I'm sure they're coming. <laughs> Self-giving love is modeled on Christ. This is what Paul says in the passage. He lays down his life to make the other person radiant. He, Jesus Christ lays down his life to make the church radiant. Right, Men, a woman shines when she knows you are consistently moving toward her in self-giving love. Got it? That's the principle he's laying out here. Men, a woman shines, comes alive, when a man is moving toward her consistently 
in self-giving love. Okay? Women. A man shines when he is responded to in self-giving love. A man shines when he is responded to in self-giving love. Now, this truth, these truths, transcend cultural trappings. We've got to put that out there. Those things I just mentioned transcend cultural trappings. Here's what I mean. There are not specifics that Paul gives to this dance. This dance of a man moving forward in initiative with self-giving love and a woman responding with self-giving love. That, this passage in the hands of someone who is um, a hardcore traditional conservative will have applications such as, this, means, this passage means that a woman should work in the home, not mow the lawn, keep quiet, Right? Baloney. It's baloney. I'm just going to go ahead and call it out now. There are not prescriptions for the movements of the dance. This is key. Y'all, this is key. We are given the basic structure. Initiative with self-giving love and response with self-giving love. Two people with nothing to lose. The woman might be a CEO and the man might be a stay-at-home dad. The dance still works. Okay? The woman might be loud and the man quiet. The dance still works. This is not based upon personality, and it's not based upon culture. You can argue with me on this. I believe it's the Word of God. Now, let's go to the other side of this. In the hands of a progressive liberal, this passage means that Christianity is a regressive, patriarchal religion, and that a true feminist should reject the teaching of Paul. Okay? Baloney. Again, I call baloney on that too. A woman can be strong, fierce, bold, and wild, and still need to be pursued by a self-giving love. A man can be soft, sensitive, gentle, and mild and still want to initiate self-giving love. Again, we bring a filter often into this passage. Let it speak. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. Um, It's a dance of self-giving love. And Paul is saying it is the, the indicator of whether this is taking place is the spirit moving within us the Spirit moving, glorifying Jesus Christ, and our ability to submit to one another. To submit to one another. Now, here, now there's a point. There's a point to the dance. And this is what Paul is going to get at when he talks about Christ and the church. We are doing for one another in a marriage what Christ is doing for us as the church. That is, we are making the person, the other person, into a more glorious reflection of God. There's a reason that Paul calls us to these things in marriage. It is a a result of true giving. We want to see the other person become more wonderful, more radiant, more full of the Zoe of God. That's our desire. That's our goal because it's been put within us because the Spirit is within us. It's always about the other person. It is not ever about me. It's not about me. This stuff never happens. Paul warns us when fear and selfishness are at the heart of any relationship, especially the marriage relationship. Now, let's quickly talk as we conclude about the dance with Christ because this is where we get marriage from. We get marriage from the dance with Christ. He is the initiator of self-giving love and we respond with submitting. 
by giving back to him our own self-giving love. There is a push and a pull to this passage and to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's, let's talk about the push and pull with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ both accepts us and rejects things about us. Whoa. Hold up. It's in the scriptures. It's in the gospel. Jesus Christ comes. He initiates. Who, who initiates? God initiates. He sends Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. He sends him into this world, and he says, I am going to bring redemption through Jesus Christ. Okay? And he says, this love, this love, this love is going to fill you. He is coming after you. He is going to find you. Old Testament gives us examples where this guy married a prostitute and has to go hunt this prostitute down in the brothels and bring her back home. And God's saying, that's what I'm going to do with you. You're going to chase after other gods. You're going to go after other lovers. But what your heart really needs is me, and I'm going to come find you. Self-initiating, self-giving love is what Jesus has for us. Because he says, I accept you. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to put you in the throne room of the Father, and I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the debt. I'm going to wipe away all of your sins, and I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness that's been bought with my perfect life. And you can enter into the presence of the Father with grace. With grace. And he says, because of that acceptance, because you are now seen as righteous before the Father, I can't leave you where you are in your sin. This is the rejection part. Jesus loves us. You have to hear this. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. He is always in the business of moving us forward. Forward. Of freeing us from other lovers. Of freeing us from sin. Of freeing us from the grip of this world. And bringing us more fully and more richly into that relationship with God that we all at our depth long for. It's that joy that Eric talked about earlier this morning. It's the joy we want and it's the joy he's giving us. And he's going to make us into that glorious, beautiful bride. The term the church has used for this on occasion is sanctification. Jesus Christ is in the business of accepting us, bringing us to the Father, and saying, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to put the beautiful, radiant robes of myself as I work within your life. That's the dance that we have with Jesus Christ. We submit to His loving work in and through us. We give ourselves to Him more and more, fully knowing that His love for us will always move us towards health and towards truth. He is in the business of doing this our entire lifetime. Unfortunately, you don't get to the point where it's like, checkbox, got it. I am the glorious bride now. He has done all the work he could possibly do in me. I'm now perfect. That doesn't happen. Not on this side of heaven, it doesn't. So we conclude with our final point about what the lifestyle of the spirit-filled Christian is. You've seen it in marriage, but I want to give it more broadly for those of us like my son right here who's sitting in the front row who's not married. Okay, there's broader applications. I know, I'm not suggesting you get married soon, Hunter, don't worry. Y'all, this whole thing about submitting, this whole thing about being a person who the Spirit has opened our eyes and we are a person who has nothing to lose, nothing to lose, it is about the glory of God. It's always about the, the fear of losing is gone. I have all in Christ. When we can say that, when we can say my life is complete because now I have Jesus Christ, y'all, God gets so much glory from that. It is, you, you can't say anything to him more glorious than you are so satisfying to me 
that I am completely full. I need nothing else. I have nothing to lose. Man, that, it's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> the chief end of man. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy, by enjoying Him forever. What is the point of mutual submission? That we might serve the other. What is the point of serving the other? That we might become the body. What is the point of becoming the body, the body of Christ, the church? That we might make Jesus shine to the world and to remind ourselves of how awesome this God is that we serve. Final caveat. Kids, don't try this at home. Don't try... I mean, Paul's going to be honest in the Bible. Don't try to do marriage in this way without the Spirit. You can't do it. We talked about this morning. We had the, the, they used a term, Eric used a term in, in Sunday school called stapling fruit. You could hear this passage about marriage, and you could say, okay, Nathan said, I should do these things in my marriage, and I should be this kind of a person, and you can be like, I'm going to look good, and I'm going to staple fruit to myself, and I'm going to be like, wow, this is my marriage awesome. My marriage appears fine to everybody who talks to me, right? No. No. No, says Paul, no. This can only be accomplished by the work of God's Spirit in the heart as Christ becomes so glorious that we finally find that we have nothing to lose. And if you're like, okay, well, I don't have that, today's the day. Today is the day. Ask the Lord to put the Spirit within you. Ask Him to make Jesus come alive in your life and in your vision um, so that your fears and your shame are taken care of by God Himself instead of the substances that you put into your body. It's a glorious thing He set up for us. What a vision. Have you caught the vision for your life, for your marriage, for your relationships? Let's pray. Lord, I know I have probably not preached this passage as your Spirit willed. I pray that your Spirit would help. Lord, we need help with this. We need help. We, don't, we see through a glass darkly, Lord, but we do know this much. We know that, Jesus, you are all. That you are the central piece of life. And that your love is better than life itself. Lord, may that be true to us, in us, today. Lord, I pray that we would experience the fact that your love is better than life. Lord, I pray that whatever fears we have brought into this room this morning, whatever shame, maybe even from this past week, I pray that you would destroy it by your love that you would reunite us with yourself, that you would empower us with your spirit, Lord, and that you would transform our relationships for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.